funding is is one of the biggest reason why most of the innovation fails. And so you need to, as founders, need to get creative around how do you fund your specific clinical validation study. Welcome to this week's Startup Health Fireside Chat. Each week we bring you candid conversations with the top minds in health innovation. We hold these sessions in front of a live audience of founders from the Startup Health portfolio. So there will be a lively Q&A as well as our interview. I'm Logan Plaster. It's my pleasure to get to host you for the next hour. Our esteemed guest today is Dr. Arshana Dubey, the Chief Clinical Officer at AliveCore. Dr. Dubey is a family practice physician who has worked on the enterprise side at HP, but also in startups as a founder herself. AliveCore, as many of you know, has been a pioneer in the medtech device market uh, for a decade, introducing the world's first single lead ECG that was built for consumers and built to integrate with mobile phones, with smartphones. Their latest offering, the Cardia 6L, is the first six lead ECG for consumers in this market. So safe to say they've learned a, a lot in 10 years of clinical validation, of consumer marketing, of tech integrations, and we're going to dig into all of that today. Uh, welcome, Dr. Dubey, to this Startup Health Fireside Chat. Hey, thank you, Logan. Nice to uh, see everyone here and uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Awesome. Dr. Dubey, uh, you've had an interesting career spanning, uh, like I said, family practice, uh, startups, Stanford, HP, now AliveCore. Uh, as a way of getting to know you a little bit better, a little bit of background, I want to know what was the spark that pushed you beyond uh, traditional practice in medicine uh, made you want to try to build something new, something better in health? I generally talk about my journeys through the P's in a way. So the P started with the patient. So um, <clears throat> I became a provider, which is the next P a clinician to serve the patients through uh, my personal life journey. And, um, and I worked, as you mentioned, through several academia, UC Davis, Stanford for a decade and a half. Uh, and I did a pivot to learn and get closer to payers because that's the third of the trifecta, which is our, our patient, the provider, and the payer. They, three of them uh, share risk together on the health and outcome for individuals. And so I joined um, Google at the time and then uh, consulted for Tesla and thereafter joined um, uh, HP as the global medical director for a decade um, and then learning more around the payer side of it. Um, this is my third pivot, which is getting closer to product, which is the, the, the next P in my journey. And the reason because uh, expanding the impact so as, as a provider, you touch one life at a time. As a payer, you touch many lives at a time. As a product, you, you touch millions of lives almost globally um, by making really good products. Why uh, did I join Alive Core? Well, um, we saw, as, as a clinician, I've seen cardiology being the biggest um, burden on an individual 
um, on a clinician, on, on a provider to care for people with known cardiology conditions and also unknown cardiology conditions. We have a global epidemic around that. Every 1.69 seconds, somebody dies of heart disease. That's a staggering number to live with. And as a clinician, it was, I was personally not okay with it and hence um, you know, looked for solutions that were out there. During the pandemic, people who had cardiovascular illness did the worst. And so that was my biggest push on a nudge in a way to do something about it. So I joined Alive Core because they had uh, the most advanced products in their, in, in their solutions that are clinically validated and also FDA cleared. So I could take it to people. What were your first, uh, what were your initial forays into health innovation like? So uh, you, you said you realized that you wanted to have a greater impact than just one patient at a time, and you've had sort of a, an expansive career. Um, so what were those first steps look, uh, like? During my career, I have been an early adopter. I would call it as an early adopter for technology, as an early adopter for selecting solutions that made sense for patients. So one of the examples is, um, you know, some of the outpatient sleep apnea solutions. I was one of the first primary care providers who used to write on those. Um, also adopted a kit phenomenon in which we developed kits around asthma um, at, at Stanford, for example. Building corporate health solutions for corporations. Um, it, that is an internal innovation that I did over at Stanford. So the, the Google stent was around that. So bringing care to people. And so uh, just kind of expanding the boundary of the status quo and questioning those. Um, and then aligning with people who, who also question that. Um, and so some of the products that I have launched at HP, for example, are also kind of stretching the boundaries of the status quo of how medicine is done to how medicine should be done. All right, let's talk about your role there at Alive Corps, the chief clinical officer. Um, what's, your, what's your primary objective at Alive Corps? Well, uh, so at, uh, as a chief clinical officer, I lead the clinical products and strategy for, for Alive Corps. Um, Alive Corps, as, as a company, has been building products, validating them, getting them through FDA's uh, clearance for the last decade. Uh, now we are ready to take a device and wrap it around with care. So we're moving from device to care. And we are also moving from uh, an individual at a time to populations at a time. So we have been a direct-to-consumer company and we, are built, we have built products and we are in process of building products and launching them very much so in 2022. That is going to be a business-to-business -business solution for, for people. And I'm actively participating on both sides. Got it. You've been at the company for nine months. So some of these challenges are still relatively new to you. What is the greatest clinical challenge that was placed in your lap that you're really wrestling with right now with the company? What I would, I would do is start with the history of a life core um, and, and then kind of tie it into the current, the current state. Um, you know, a life core has not taken things uh, status quo. 
So 150-year-old technology, the ECG, and, and I would like all of us to imagine getting an ECG done at a doctor's office. You get this big old machine that is on a wheel that's brought it into the room. You have to take off your clothes, put on 12 sticky things on your body, and all these wires are coming at you. And somehow you're supposed to breathe just enough that you do not alter that, uh, that ECG tracing. That 150-year-old technology is still used in doctor's offices doing your 12-lead ECG. Um, LifeCore was not okay with it 10 years ago. And our founder, uh, our inventor, our chief medical officer, Dr. Dave Albert, uh, took two leads that could detect the most common arrhythmia and put it on one little ECG device, which is very similar to what you see behind me. That's a six lead, that's six times more powerful than the one that was developed, clinically validated and FDA cleared 10 years ago uh, to detect atrial fibrillation, which was the most common arrhythmia that causes stroke for individuals. So it was life-saving for people. It was disability-saving for people. And then two years ago, we, we, we made it six times stronger and, and more to come um, in future. So when I joined um, Alive Core, I did not join naive. I actually joined as a believer. So as a provider, I have used and recommended Cardia as a device, Cardia Mobile as a device, as a clinician to my patients. And, and these were the patients that uh, had some kind of arrhythmic event, some kind of a palpitation, and they had a million dollar workup done at with the cardiologist. They had all the access to the specialist they needed, the technology that they needed, but we still missed it. But then when I gave a simple device like, um, like CardioMobile in their hands and they used it at the time of event, whether it's at after dinner or whether it's a friend's place, we were able to see the actual rhythm that they were experiencing. And there was not one, several of my patients were able to detect and save their lives um, by, by using a simple device like this. So we brought care in the home or in the lives of people through a simple device that brings, that breaks the, the brick and mortar uh, boundaries of care that to exist today. So that's why I came in as a believer. Yeah. And then once I joined, um, the clinical things, they're not problems. These are great opportunities for us to look forward to is a roadmap that we have built in not only the six rhythms that are FDA cleared today, but more to come in the next two to three years that you would be able to, just from uh, a little credit card-like device, will be able to detect a lot many more things that are cardiovascular and, and, and attend to them a lot sooner. Our goal is to detect, manage, and hopefully reverse cardiovascular condition uh, as it exists today. Let's talk about that future vision then, because you've mentioned a couple things. You talked about moving from device to care, and then just now you talked about detecting and managing, where in the past, maybe at the very, very beginning, it really was just about gathering the data points, and there, there might not have been a comprehensive care concept. So here we are entering into 2022, and it it kind of sounds like what you're saying is you're moving into a new evolution of, of the product from device to a whole system. So what is that, what is that approach? And just kind of uh, paint us a picture. As, you, as we all know, and most of us are from healthcare space, 
that device industry is is important, but also is is quite crowded, and um, and has early devices and mid devices, very few mature devices that are FDA cleared at this time. But as as a direct to consumer company, what we looked at is what we are a, a consumer obsessed company. So we are we totally obsessed with the patient, the consumer member, whatever word you want to use for that individual. And what we have heard from them is that they love our device and they want care. And especially during the pandemic, we noticed that their own care got disrupted. Um, their access to their cardiologist, whether they moved with their parents uh, or they moved for other reasons, their own medical home got disrupted. And so having an added care to their offering was important to us. So in, in, in 2020, we did launch cardiac care as a solution that wraps care around our devices. Also, additionally, we know that 60% of our devices are being sold uh, due to the recommendation of a clinician like me. And so we also looked at um, how you know, the need for a clinician in, in making decision is an important part. The patient doesn't go alone, they go along with with, uh, with their providers. And so not only that today, um, a patient, a person, a member can use a device, but also request for doing a teleconsult with a cardiologist in certain states so that they're not left alone with just data. They can make sense and make it actionable with the help of our clinicians. Um, Quick question, uh, Dr. Dubey, how big of a shift does that represent for the company? Um, you know, since, since we're not sort of behind the curtain, uh, is, is, this a, is this a major evolution for what LiveCore represents or just sort of a small change going forward? It is a major evolution. As, as we set the stage for serving our patients direct to consumer in a much more care-focused way um, and through our care and subscriptions, it is a major evolution. And then as we have already um, moved into the business-to-business space, it is a strategic move for us to have care as part of our devices. So as we look at, uh, we just launched our Alive Core Labs for the clinicians, because the clinicians is the other part of the constituents for us. Um, they can do today IDTF monitoring, which is uh, continuous monitoring for, for their individuals to look for any arrhythmic events. Um, and we already are partnering with, uh, with several medical groups, including Allegheny Medical Group, for example. You mentioned your obsession with consumers or users or patients. And it's something that makes a live core very unique is how long you've been a consumer-driven product. And uh, you've made a splash at CES multiple times. Um, and I wonder if you could speak to kind of how the device is different because you had that feedback loop. A lot of folks, a lot of founders avoid the direct-to-consumer route. It's complex, it's costly, um, and so it's, it's just a different model. And so I wonder if you could just speak some, some to that, what's gained by that consumer feedback loop. Absolutely, and, and as you must have seen, the theme of a life code is we do hard things. Um, so we tackle the ECG and we are tackling, of course, we are serving our direct-to-consumer space because it is hard. Um, because we need to delight our consumers. We need to be engaging for them. We need to be able to make data actionable for them. 
for them to be able to come, uh, come back to us. We have 104 plus million users of our technology who are con consistently doing uh, ECG readings for themselves, more than 120 million ECG readings that is coming through into our data set. So, so we have earned the credibility and trust for the consumers by being clinically validated, by being FDA cleared, and also being published through several, more than 160 uh, peer-reviewed journals. And that is something that is a hard fate for any of the device or care company that has done. And if you look at in the last five years of ballooning digital health space, most of the solutions were built for either the employer or the payer. Uh, you might not be able to answer this question, but I'm just kind of curious uh, if you know of any ways that the the product or the business model has shifted directly because of that consumer feedback. So because you have so many users, you have so much feedback coming back, um, you know, are there ways that the AliveCore has, has shifted in tangible ways? So there are two ways um, it has informed us. And so we are an AI company, we learn from data and information. So the fact that we are able to engage people who are self-motivated enough to come in and buy a device out of their own money, buy cardiac care out of their own money, subscription out of their own money, we realize that we are serving that self-motivated population, but there is this whole population that is sitting under you know, payers, under employers that is maybe not as motivated or maybe not have not become our customers. So we have been informed by the traction that we have in our direct to consumer to, to build our confidence to go into populations because we can only expand our impact by engaging that population that is, um, that is sitting under the payer employer space. Um, so we are going there. We are at that. And then also we are also going towards the providers because the providers are recommending us that they would like to work with us so that they can recommend us to more of their populations. That allows us to now take some hard work to, to be done for an, on reimbursement, for example. So AliveCore Labs is a reimbursed service. We had to do it um, as, as a business decision uh, and do the hard work because we do know that in order for us to engage that population that works with the providers, we needed to be reimbursable. And so hence we did that in, in this uh, 2021. Um, and of course, going closer to the employer and payer in 2022. We could talk for a little bit about clinical validation as it applies uh, in your mind to the startups on this call or anybody watching this in the future. Um, I wonder um, what your advice is for a startup thinking about the first steps towards clinical validation. Uh, kind of what should they be emphasizing? What should they be prioritizing? First and foremost, uh, for most of the uh, startups and founders, it's really important to know that are you really solving a pain point? Are, are you solving a problem for a patient or a provider? These are the two main constituents that you have. And if you are, uh, is your solution adding value or adding cost to the system? And if you have already passed that, then looking at your solution and, and creating clinical validation pathways for yourself, partnering with uh, academia or leading institutes 
um, to do your clinical validation is important. Um, you want to be able to validate your solution against the, the current standard of care. So we validated, for example, our ECG devices against the 12 lead ECG, which is the gold standard for, uh, for most of the clinicians. And if it, it measures up to the accuracy, um, the sensitivity, specificity, and level, then you need to replicate it. You need to continue to replicate it in, in different unbiased populations. And, and so you need diverse populations. Uh, you, you would need real world data uh, and hopefully prospective, if not retrospective, um, to kind of uh, work with you. And then uh, looking at maybe going into pre-submission with the FDA with your solution. Generally, FDA, most people are fearful of, but generally FDA is on your side. So they will allow you and they will direct you um, to really make your product robust for clinical needs and clinical usage. And so when you do the pre-sub, they will give you homework to do, and that homework become really important for you uh, to start paying attention to. And then hopefully you'll be ready for your FDA clearance. Uh, just to get really practical, obviously all of that clinical, clinical validation would be great, but sometimes it's a, it's a budget and time issue and you have to decide, okay, how much clinical validation will get me to the next step. And so I wonder, what are your thoughts on when you're really early, um, you know, how do you take that next uh, move to, you know, just validate the next step and the next step and the next step? Is there a stair-step approach? How do you think through that for a startup? You know, generally funding is, is one of the biggest reason why most of the innovation um, fails. And so you need to, as founders, need to get creative around how do you fund um, your specific clinical validation study. And generally, uh, partner, like I mentioned, partnering with an academic center would be good or a not-for-profit organization. Um, you could look into like Gates Foundation, for example, if this is an area that you're trying to solve that is um, of concern. Or you could look into uh, partnering with, with you know, populations that are already suffering from that and working with their clinicians. Um, so this, the clinical validation study could be even three primary care physicians who are having, um, I'm going to pick Mark's um, uh, solution on pain management. Um, and they could, have, they could have a pain management practice that they could recruit X number of people. And that could be a smaller cost, uh, lower cost study that you could start with. And once you see stellar results, then you could go to academia, for example. And then once the academia is bought in, you could, they themselves do fundraising um, and they have funding cycles uh, ready. So that's, that's another way for you to start the process if you want to start small. Personally, I, I would start with my clinician friends and, and, and get to a cohort of, of population to start validating my product first. That's the kind of practical advice that I was, I was looking for. You know, you do have to start uh, sometimes within your your closest circle of influence, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, you mentioned uh, Amrin, uh, your your partnership with them, and something interesting about AliveCore is how many 
organizations and devices you've integrated with, your integrations and your partnerships. You've woven yourself into uh, CROs, um, Apple Watch, you know, all these things uh, integrate and can um, interplay with a live core. And so I wonder if we could talk a little bit about kind of what makes a successful partnership. A lot of folks on this call um, want to sort of be embedded into a another system and to have that interplay work well. So what are some of your words of wisdom about what makes a strong uh, clinical partnership like that? Yes, absolutely. So AlivePore has been intentional about not being in a data silo. We, we are all about, if we really want to impact cardiovascular space, we need to be able to be data portable and work with all of the constituents to be able to solve for cardiovascular disease. And so all of the founders, as you're building your solution, have the integration um, strategy be part of your differentiator and, and, and success story. Um, so I would say our integration through API, SDK, and also presence on Epic uh, App Orchard uh, is one of the ways that we have allowed our technology to flow into the hands of both the patients and their clinicians. Um, you know, me as a clinician, I live in my universe of electronic health record. If that ECG doesn't show up there, it, it does not become part of my workflow. And, and so always thinking like, how do you put your technology to become part of the workflow of whoever you're serving is an important part. And integration is an important aspect of that. Um, because of our integration, we were able to quickly scale into the CRO because we had the APIs, SDK integration. Uh, even when pandemic was disrupting all and every aspect of patient touch points, we were able to scale our touch points because of our innovations. Um, one of the examples is, um, you know, acuity measurements um, that, you know, people who are on cancer therapies, um, they need to do QT measurements. They need to go find a doctor's office to do a 12-lead ECG. The devices are mailed today to them because these, uh, the patients who have, who have cancer, who are on chemotherapy or other medications that's lowering their immunity, they don't need to be going to doctor's office in the middle of a pandemic and uh, to, to, uh, to affect their health. And so our technology quickly scaled because of the integration into, into the, bi the biopharma universe in a way. Um, some of our work that we have done at Cedar sinai uh, is through our integration through the EPIC. So a cardio pro is where all of our ECG goes for a clinician to be able to review. That cardio pro portal is now available inside an EPIC Epic being the, the predominant electronic health record of our times. Um, so now a clinician can at CDSANI can review all of the data around the ECGs that come through them. Can I ask you a little bit of, little, little bit more about your yeah. partnerships in CROs? Mm -hmm. um, it's just interesting to sort of see how you know a live core is evolving uh, from the device to really powering other things. And, and I, I wonder if you could speak to sort of how a live core has the potential of changing how we think about clinical trials. How is a live core integrating with, let's say, decentralized clinical trials? So 
currently there are two major players in the decentralized uh, clinical trials uh, where they enroll patients. And so Medable and ERT are the two major players in that space. And when the clinical research organizations uh, or, or the research started getting disrupted, we were quick to make that partnership so that when Medable and ERT is recruiting people for a clinical trial, IRB recruitment, digitally, they have the kit that arrives to them so they're able to, uh, to gather the ECG level data that is required for whether it's a drug or, or a treatment intervention, whatever it is that um, a clinician or biopharma is reviewing and, and studying. And how, how do you see that changing over time? I mean, it's such a dynamic industry. Well, I would say in the CRO space, the cat is outside the bag now. Um, and, and the reason why I say it is that the brick and mortar uh, research is, is also becoming obsolete because people movement is a reality. And then also access to a larger population, a diverse population is important for any research. And so now when you have made research more digitized, just like our Zoom call today, um, nobody knows where everybody's sitting right now, but we are all here right now. In the same exact way, if, if I would like to research on a drug, I don't need to go work with Stanford, which is my proximity, but I could work with all over US to get a diverse population and recruit patients IRB. And from the patient side, imagine if you are a person who has failed all therapy and you're really looking for clinical trials that has that experimental drug that you would like to explore to either save your life or improve your life, you would want to sign up for that. But you're sitting in Minnesota and the study is happening at Stanford. What do you do? That, that ability to really make it remote and, and our ability to work with um, CRO organizations like Medable and ERT enables that for that individual. That's so huge. Um, is sticking on this topic of successful partnerships uh, is a little bit longer. I, I wonder if you could speak to really kind of the mindset of the, of the partner that you're looking for, kind of the priorities that they need to have to really be a good fit for a live core and by extension, kind of uh, wisdom for partnerships for folks in this call, I, I, what they need to be prioritizing, uh, whether it's a double bottom line, um, just how you sort of think through the mindset of the partner. One of the examples is when we, when we partner with organizations, especially either centers of excellence or, or academic organizations, we look for pioneers and also uh, folks who are leading the change for cardiovascular space. So we have partnered with Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic. And, um, and Cleveland Clinic has actually published more of the clinical validation studies for us using our device than any other organization. And we are thankful for that, but they are a leading organization in cardiovascular space. And that same thing with Mayo Clinic is that they do, they are a leading organization also in a cardiovascular space and they worked closely with our QT prolongation clinical validation. So they do see value in it. They have a large number of population that they can recruit through their clinical validation study. They've also worked with us being able to use ECG as a method uh, to detect some blood chemistry changes uh, without doing a blood test, for example. 
Um, so, so those are those are a couple of partnerships that I could share. How we are being uh, a little bit more strategic and intentional around our partnerships because we want to partner with people who are leading the change in the cardiovascular space. Shifting gears a little bit, I'm just thinking about sort of the practical challenges faced by folks on the call, and certainly question. The chat is open to any questions people want to to leave. Um, you know, we're talking about clinical validation. You're a chief clinical officer. Oftentimes, a a startup they, they may or may not have someone on staff that really has your expertise, a chief clinical officer to really lead that charge. And so, and yet you've been on both sides of the equation as a founder and and working at a you know enterprise company. I wonder if you have any advice for the startup that it doesn't have a, a Dr. Dubay on staff. Uh, and sort of building the team and sort of thinking through how do we accomplish some of these things? I would say if you're not part of an organization that is a group of uh, entrepreneurs, like Startup Health, I would say, (laughs) a plug-in for you. Um, But also at Stanford, we have StartX, for example. We have these organizations that are kind of incubators. There's a lot of access to academic uh, thought leaders and um, and physicians who are thought leaders in the space that you could approach and identify the areas that you need help from use cases as a subject matter expert as how do I apply this technology to uh, make people's life better? How do I go about clinical validation? All of these things can be tapped through a part-time, a consulting and other mechanisms that you could do by really talking to thought leaders in that space. A lot of my colleagues and clinicians are open to that kind of conversation. You know, I'm happy to, to, to share a, a few other forums. Um, uh, I personally have Invent Health platform that I've founded. Um, and, and that's where, you know, Startup Health and, and myself have had, you know, crossroads uh, where we meet, where we met, actually. Um, so in Invent Health, we bring in investors and um, uh, innovators and, early, and adopters, whether it's Kaiser's or Stanford's or whatever, to really help create the bridge between funding, innovation, and adoption. Because that's those bridges are necessary for us to to do, and uh, and we do have a lot of clinicians who are interested in helping um, organizations to be successful. I didn't intend for that question to be a setup for a <laughs> uh, a plug for Startup Health, but a a genuine one at that. So I'm glad everyone is here and in a cohort of uh, folks and Slack channel that you people can ask for help on. Um, I want you to uh, take out your crystal ball and take an opportunity to sort of think about 2020 2022. It's a bit of a mouthful and beyond. And um, you know, you mentioned some of the ways the company's evolving, but maybe you could speak to where you see opportunities in health tech more generally, um, and some of the themes that you're most excited about that might intersect some of the folks on this call. Absolutely. I, I, I do feel digital health, as much as it's looking like it's booming, it's the infant, infancy at this point. It's the version 1.0 that we're seeing. Um, all of the solutions, all of the founders, whoever are here today, uh, no matter what the maturity of your solution is, um, if, if you're serving the patient, you got to get to the providers and the payers. 
if you're serving the, the providers, you got to get to the patients and the payers. If you're serving the payers, you got to get to the other two. So it is, it's important for you to know that how you scale your solution from whoever you're serving to all of the three Ps is an important aspect that you need to make as part of your two-year, four-year, five-year strategy, whatever that you would like to do. For AliveCore, for example, in 2022, we are going in big into the business-to-business -business, uh, model. So we are focused on bringing our solution to um, our providers, our clinicians, through our AliveCore labs. We are going to be launching, so look out for that big announcement coming up early next year into the payer employer space. And we are also expanding our biopharma solutions. While we're doing it, our direct-to-consumer will also expand and enrich their device and care solutions. So more, more of the care subscriptions will be coming through the, through the horizon. So these are, these are on the horizon. We have exciting products that are uh, soon to be released um, that I'm unable to share uh, today, but we should be able to share very soon. Awesome. Uh, we got a question in the chat from Safdia Lumalai from Adar Health. Um, Safdia, why don't you come off a of mute, explain what you do uh, briefly, and ask your question. Hi, Logan. Thanks for bringing me in. Uh, thank you so much, um, Dr. Dubey, for your great feedback. I'm Safdia. I'm the founder and CEO of Adar Health. It's a digital medicine company. As a part of our solution, we built a single integrated device that measures more than 10 vital health parameters in just 30 seconds. Um, we're FDA cleared, C mark approved. Uh, we always look up to um, Core as a, as a great competitor and, and, and also somebody who is uh, looked at it as a, as a companion to whatever we are doing and also our device as a, as a great companion. From our perspective, um, I would really like to understand in terms of um, beyond ECG, what are some of the things that physiological parameters that you're really looking into that could add value to both your decentralized clinical trial related efforts and also in terms of chronic disease management? Thank you, uh, Satya, for asking that question. And maybe we should have an offline conversation on that. Um, but, you know, we look at cardiovascular, as you have seen, not just from the lens of only cardiovascular, we look at cardiovascular from the lens of all specialties. I'll share our example of working with substance abuse centers in which our devices are screening for QT prolongation for people who are getting treated for substance abuse, for example. So we do see psychiatry as, as, as our space that we would help to serve. Um, so in, in that context, we're looking at all signals from the body become important because the heart doesn't sit outside the body. It sits inside the body. Just as you know, uh, when we have fever, our, our heart rate goes up. Uh, so the temperature is an important attribute. Our devices are able to see signals from the heart. Um, and hence, we partnered with Amran to be able to see the signals from the arteries. And so I would be happy to hear from you what all signals you're working on. And so, so maybe there, there could be a possibility of partnership. And, and a healthy competition is something that Alaiko always, always welcomes because there's so much to be done in this space. And, and there's not enough of us. And so 
really, if there's anybody building technology that is uh, actively solving for cardiovascular space, kudos to them. I think that's phenomenal because for us, uh, like what AliveCore has done for ECG is way light years ahead of uh, some of the other companies that are there. And it's always been, I mean, the, I still remember the first uh, YouTube video that was uh, published uh, by, uh, I think your CTO, I believe, um, or one of the founders, right? So it's become a famous YouTube video now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, no, for us, it's, uh, I think we, we are, um, every time when we, we really talk to other organizations, they always uh, bring about a live core as like, hey, we're already working with them. So for us, it's, we always look into uh, companies who can actually augment our solution, add value, but at the same time, as you said, we measure cardiopulmonary parameters, uh, mostly from the heart rate, lung functions, uh, and other things, which would be a phenomenal value add to all the efforts that you're taking. Um, but thanks thanks for all the great feedback. Yes, absolutely, Satya. And, and happy to talk to you um, in another yeah. video. Awesome. We'll make sure, thanks Satya. We'll make sure we make those uh, connections and anybody else who would like to have a, a connection afterwards as well. Um, you know, when Alive Core started, there was um, fewer signals, less noise. And now when you think about uh, health tech data, uh, there is a lot of noise. And so I, as sort of, a, you know, as we're getting to the, towards the top of the hour, top of the hour um, how is AliveCore thinking about this, this idea that more data isn't necessarily better. It's what you do with it. It's how you become actionable with it. So um, how are you thinking about sort of the big data side of the next evolution of a live core? Absolutely. So uh, data is important to us. More is better, by the way, for 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 our AI, uh, for a live core. But we, for our partners, whether it's patients, providers, or payers, actionable data is what matters. So hence, through our AI, we have been able to do determinations. Um, that our device itself can read what condition or what ECG is coming through. So that is one mechanism in which we have taken the data and created intelligence sense around it. So it's the device itself is giving actionable diagnostic information in the hands of a clinician. Because we are a quadruple aim company, as we talked about. Uh, quadruple aim, if, if our founders do not know, uh, the four aims that everybody needs to march towards. Um, three are patient-facing, and one is clinician-facing. So the experience is delighting your patient is important. So the experience is important, having a high-quality experience. Care outcome, improving care outcome is important. Decreasing the cost of care is important. And then also reducing physician burnout and delighting the physician is important. These are four quadruple aims, or the quadruple aims that we, uh, we hold close to us. So how do, we, how do we kind of be truthful to it? Is by making the data actionable for the patient and then for the provider by using our AI to give the determination and diagnostic ability to our device itself. It, it's not that the clinician doesn't have access to it. They can always have an override power on it, um, but we have seen with our validation that we are pretty accurate in making that determination and removing the noise and making it 
much more actionable. Uh, we're getting close to the top of the hour. Something we always do is give folks a chance to reflect back their greatest insights and that they've taken from the session uh, sort of as a way to thank our guests and to uh, just reiterate what we've learned. I got a note uh, in the chat, Satya, you said you have an insight, so go ahead and share. I think having worked in a medical device industry, uh, having gone through this for a couple of years, I think a live core kind of gave us a path where uh, like you can get into different verticals as long as you can be good at what you're doing, right? So I think uh, when um, it was only thought as like a consumer oriented device where you check and then not care about it. Today, you guys helped companies like us to really talk to investors and others to also show value that a device can play a role in direct-to-consumer model, help patients, but also help physicians to better manage their patients. And last year, through partnerships and through some of the major um, uh, activities for decentralized clinical trials, now we as a company or any other company in this space can actually go out there and say, hey, we can take care of multiple uh, businesses because our at the end of the day, our ultimate value is like taking care of patients and providing them with the insights that is timely and uh, more accurate and reliable. So for us, I think all what you discussed was very exciting to us. Uh, or any any other company which is focused on uh, device enabled uh, interventions. So um, thanks to thanks to great uh, insights and more importantly, we're really looking forward to um, finding more exciting partnerships. Dr. Dubey, I'm going to give you the final word. Um, any final words of advice to the the, the people on this call, uh, particularly as you know your experience as a family practice physician and helping them connect with the, um, just the life and pain points of a practicing physician and making sure that's incorporated. What are your final thoughts for people on the call? Yes, one, one of the important things for all of us to consider is to do your, know your user, do your user research. And it is, it's an important aspect of building any kind of solution, especially how you interface it with your user. So if you're serving the patient, uh, get to know their patient stories and understand what the member journey or the patient journey needs to look like. As a clinician, I would say that there's so many products that are out there that were built in a lab that never thought that there's a patient who's going to be using it. So accessibility, um, ability to read, um, bigger fonts, and, and all, all of those things, know your user is an important aspect. So if you don't have a user research team, Partnering with one that is effective is an important part of building your product. So solution is uh, that that makes sense for your patient uh, is an important part of your user research. I love it. Dr. Dubey, that takes us to the top of the hour. I think I speak for everyone when I say thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule. Share with us what AliveCore is working on, the evolution of that very interesting an inspiring device as it moves from device to a whole wraparound care um, platform and really uh, it takes part in this whole telemedicine revolution. It's very interesting, exciting. See how it's going to power decentralized clinical trials. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you, Logan, and good luck to all the founders here. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. 
If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 380 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund in collaboration with AngelList, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.